to Sin City with Nick Meneses and Dane McLean. Live chat about everything cinema, from new releases, iconic films, and plenty more for you movie lovers. Live for CMRU.ca. And now, to the men behind the mic. Welcome, everyone, to Sin City. I am one of your hosts, Nick Manessis. We are joined today by our first ever guest on Sin City, the one and only Matthew Zahariah. Hello, Matt. How are you? Hello, Nick. Um, I'm good, Nick. Thanks for having me on the show again. Anytime, Matt. Anytime. So, as of now, we are 21 episodes, and our show is just six months old. Just, wow. And it all began with you, man. Yeah. Yeah, it was was really nice of you to have me on your show. It's been an honor every time I've been on. And um, our our other guest host and our good friend John Swan will join us very soon. And before we, uh, you know, just you know, get to today's topic, let's you know take this moment just to catch up. Like, you know, how you been doing? Like, how you finding classes? I've been good, surviving, mm-hmm. just trying to get through it all. Yeah, and um, you're back also uh, in you're back in you're in Mount Royal too, isn't it? If I recall no. correctly. No, I'm still going to Nate, but everything's online, so I've just stayed home here in Calgary. So yeah, got one more year of my program, and then I can do something else that's not not this. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Good luck on that, man. And hey, yeah. Uh, also, since it is the season, how's your horror movie club going, man? Well, we haven't really had any events, but we have got our club reinstated. So I think we're gonna do something big for Halloween, whether it's sort of like a marathon. I'm not not sure exactly what we're going to show yet, but I'm thinking because um, we're going to be hosting it on MediaShare websites. So we're going to basically, uh, we really could do it like all night, really, just have people come in when they want or, yeah. But we haven't really planned anything yet, but um, we're working on it. No worries, man. No worries. I'm sure you'll manage for sure. Yeah. And um, also, uh, it, I be, even though it's been uh, two months already, it's been your birthday just passed by in two months ago. How was that too, by the way? It was good. What did I do? Yeah, I didn't really do much. It, it just, you know, had family over, spent time with them, and it was good. It's nice to hear, man. Yeah. Good. And also, um, nice shirt too, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. The fused head from the thing. So, yeah. 
um, speaking of the thing, this is not today's topic, but just just a, a small thing. But recently, I have been watching a similar film to The Thing. I believe you're familiar with The Fly by David Cohen. Oh, oh yes, The Fly. I didn't really enjoy The Fly. Um, one of my favorite parts of horror are the effects, especially the practical effects. Just. Um, for some people, um, they don't really look real. They, um, but they're because like people can tell that they're fake and they're effects. But because they're actually done in real time and done with real like physical things, it adds just a sort of authenticity to it. So when people keep talking about the advancements in uh, video effects, yeah, we, you can have the best video effects that you can have, but you don't have this sort of grounded realness in it. Even though they may look cheap and campy, they do look like something's actually happening on screen. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I kind of miss those times, really, because now it's mostly CGI, CGI, CGI. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. But with David Cronenberg, he's up there with some of the best effects. I know I recently watched Videodrome the other, well, about a month ago. But with that, it's everything in there is just visually stunning. Like, the, and the idea that a video can sort of just corrupt society and yeah it's an interesting one i would check it out but yeah 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 like he's probably a mess the first thing that comes to my mind when i hear the subgenre body horror yeah yeah i know um in for many people he holds the um greatest head explosion in film and since uh in scanners there's a classic scene where it's just you can probably find it online it's just a clip of a guy head just exploding and that was all done practically i think what they did was got a cast of the actor's head and then just uh put a wig on it dolled it up and then just filled it with meat and just other uh, viscous, uh, just other like blood, meat, and everything. It just blows up, and no matter how much CGI gets, you can never replicate the scanner's head explosion with it. Just, Absolutely. yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. So yeah, but yeah, every every time I see a head explosion, it's like it's not as good as scanners, but yeah, um, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, since we're done catching up, Matt, Matt, I think it's time to tell you the truth why I'm really here. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. So, <laughs> John Carpenter. Let's yeah. get this lesson on car- carpentry. Begin. So, like... John Carpenter, like he's probably like the ma- he's the master of horror, basically. Like none of the horror movies that we've seen today would ever Im- have such an impact without him in the first place. I'd say. Yeah. yeah. 
And uh, before we get into the movies, just the man himself, he really does everything. He writes, he uh, directs, but he also composes. For most of his films, he is the one who scores them. And he brought us the iconic Halloween, you know, piano. Um, and I know... Um, yeah, so, he, and then he's still composing to this day. I know I follow him uh, on Instagram, and you just see his updates on his records that he's releasing, so. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Hey, John. Hey, everyone. How's it going? Doing good. Really good. So, yeah. so before we continue with our topic, uh, here's John, everyone, our first-time guest host here on Sin City. Hey, how you doing, man? Pretty good, pretty good. Staying, staying warm from the winter weather. Unfortunately, Definitely, yeah. it's very uh, it's like the thing outside. Oh yeah, Definitely. yeah. And hello, Nick. Hello, Matthew. Hello, John. How have you been? Not too bad. Uh, haven't talked to you guys in a couple of months. It's been a while. But here we are now. Yeah, we've just begun. Yep, no worries, man. So, John Carpenter, like the master horror himself, like you're watching, rewatching his films, like he's, I think he's kind of like David Lynch. Wouldn't you agree, John? I'd say they're kind of like uh, similar in terms of the. Uh the horror aspect and stuff. There, there definitely are like some differences. Um, they're both like kind of pretty like versatile though, because um, John Carpenter also did like a uh, Big Trouble in uh, Little China. That's like a just a comedy, and then there's just like really like dark stuff like a uh, Prince of Darkness. But also like They Live is also like that's like a horror like comedy. Yeah, so I'd say yeah, kind of like with, similar. Uh, escape to yeah, true. New York and escape from LA, but escape from LA. So he does have a quite a range to him, I would say. Definitely a range, but I think is um the main genre is definitely horror for sure. Yeah, yeah, always rooted in that. <laughs> and what another thing that really impresses me about Mr. Carpenter is like his how he composes his films. Like the man, he has. Uh no music experience before and but he has a really good ear and he made such iconic themes the halloween theme like wow yep they're almost all like synthesizer based too which is kind of yeah. cool there's very simple like instrumentals but there's like uh still gives off that like horror vibe which is pretty cool that's right yeah and sometimes you don't even notice it like for one the thing so much is going on like the characters yeah. the um effects everything the score takes a back seat to it but it's always there always present but sometimes you don't really notice it and so yeah gotta keep a yeah, it's like, it's, it's like in the background, but it's still like it adds to the suspense. It's like very simple. It's just like a couple, like it's just like the one instrument. I, I, I don't know what the synthesizer is called, but it's just like that instrument that he yeah. uses. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. And yeah, you, and you were right, guys. Like, he is really a versatile actor. Like, this week, I've been binging his films, and I was surprised to see that he can pull off both horror and non-horror movies to spectacular mm-hmm. He actually he directed... Um... Oh, sorry if I you off. You go ahead. No, I was just going to say a dumb joke. I say keep your eye out for a John Carpenter rom-com. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. nothing really Actually, that, what I was going to say, it kind of almost like relates to that because he, he actually, I was looking at his, um, his work. He actually did direct like an Elvis like biopic. Oh, really? But it was like television only. I think it was like in between Halloween and like the thing. Super <sighs> rare. But that's like a it's I did I just found that out today too. It was like wow, that's really cool. It's like a TV like special from like the seventies. Exactly. Yeah, and that's the thing about Carpenter too. Like his when he began his career, most of his films didn't receive the best reviews, but they got a mm-hmm. appreciation over time. It's impressive too, really. Yeah, like the the cult status. Yeah. Um, like it was kind of like that with like Halloween. I think it kind of just um. I'm not too sure if, um, if it was popular like at the time, but definitely over the years it just like garnered more attention. It was popular because that's what Friday the Thirteenth did was got some of that slasher money generated from. Oh. Okay. But yeah, I know one of the biggest arguments with Halloween is they should have really just stopped at it. Um, that's the true. first two, but you got to think of it as a legacy of the character. If they just made two Michael of Myers. them, yeah, for Michael Myers, if they just made the first two and then they did Halloween 3 as sort of the anthology that they wanted, where mm-hmm. um, Michael Myers might not be the horror icon we have today, he might have just fallen into obscurity but the subsequent sequels even though they're not very good they kept him in sort <laughs> yeah. of uh, um, consciousness of the people that's true that's definitely true and um yeah cause the, the sequels are like not that great and I think cause Carpenter only did the he didn't even direct the second one did he no just first one but he did come back for number three that has nothing to do with Michael Myers oh yeah that's a really unpopular opinion I actually do like number three is actually one of my favorites I do just like it too because of the soundtrack as well yeah. I kind of see it though as just as like it's a it's kind of like a horror movie on its own, though. Not like a Halloween movie. Yeah. Well, the idea was Halloween was supposed to be sort of a cover title for an anthology, so each movie yeah. would be a different story related to Halloween, but not yeah. directly connected. Kind of like the Twilight Zone sort mm-hmm. of yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Different characters, different happenings and stuff. Yeah. But one element. Yeah, I think the film Halloween 3 would have done great if, you know, if it didn't have Halloween in the title because it kind of misled fans that it would be just another Michael mm-hmm. Myers. I think, if I remember correctly, it did take place in um, the same town, though. Um, yeah. Haddonfield? Haddonfield. I don't yeah. really remember, but that is right it should have the title should have been called something else say like silver shamrock or something that would have been cool yeah yeah 
Yeah. And yes, like the Halloween sequels, they range from meh to please kill. Oh, there is some pretty, um, uh, yeah, I feel like, I think it's just like, kind of like with any like sequels that they do, um, they kind of like went with the times too. So during like the MTV era, there was one called Halloween Resurrection. Have you guys heard of that one? Oh, yes. I mm-hmm. wish I could see it. <laughs> it's, like the, one. it's like the eighth one. It's like after H2O. Yeah, and that's sort of the era where they got all these musicians in. and Yeah, like uh, Buster Rhymes is there, Tyra Banks yeah. is there. And they're like, invest, they're like investigating like... It's like an MTV special on Michael Myers, and they go to investigate the house. And it's just like, (laughs) I remember watching that. I was like, this is um, pretty, it's a little too, like, pretty, like, dank for the time. (laughs) And then there's, of course, the 2018 sequel. That, which is very good. Yeah. What are your guys' thoughts on the the I was gonna say reboot sorry not reboot but the the 2018 um sequel I think this was probably the best Halloween film since the original I think it mm-hmm. really paid tribute to the franchise and I think it was a very smart move to you know retcon all the sequels and definitely because it gets rid of I think it doesn't even include yeah it doesn't include two it just comes yeah. straight from the first one right yeah and better yet, and also in this one, uh, Michael and Lori are no longer brother and sister, which again was yeah. also. Oh. That's from the second one. Yeah, I feel like they uh, basically brought Michael Myers back to what made him scary in the first place. Yep. You always get this sort of um, problem where you just over-explain too much. Like, yeah, even, like any, yeah. Um, making Lori and Michael related that strips away some of the anonymity of his crimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like back then when Michael, you know, was uh, like targeting members of his family, it made him look as if he was just a bitter family man. But in the 28th yeah. sequel, he's not, not, he's just a monster and that's all we need to know about him. Mm-hmm. It's just almost like he's kind of like attached to Lori. Yeah. Or it kind of maybe like reminds him of like his sister. Well, that's a good point. Yeah, but what I thought is that Michael, like meaning Lori, now with this timeline, it was just random, I think, just a coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. Like. That's the thing, like, like my, Michael is, is meant to be, like, pure, pure evil personified. Like, the fact that... Blank him, face. Exactly, yeah. Like, I think him, the... I'm sorry. I think the boogeyman, how they advertise him, is the perfect example of him. He's not mm-hmm. just some guy. He is more of an entity, a force of evil that has no remorse, no feeling, but is just there. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's actually interesting, too. I just thought of this because um, I, if I remember correctly, like the, the boogeyman, like the urban legend it's supposed to come from under the better the closet yeah he actually does come from the closet in a scene from the 2018 one mm-hmm. i just thought of that right now That'd yeah be cool. yeah 
it's actually funny because the first time I saw it, I was actually in grade three. But I thought the mask, like, I actually didn't even think it was a mask. Like, I thought that was the guy's actual, like, hair. Mm, yeah. It adds that uncanny valley feel to it, for sure. Very, yeah, very uncanny valley. Um, and it's the, the mask itself is also just, like, weird, too, because that's literally just like someone else's like skin that's like william shatner's skin that's like a weird halloween costume but i guess that was the 60s yeah but but like just accuracy didn't really matter they're like um brown hair sort of looks like him it's a william shatner mask yeah i think it did come with like a costume too for the original but I don't know, back then, I don't know. Some weird, weird, interesting ideas back then. Yeah. And uh, personally, me, the thing, what I find, what, the reason why I find, you know, Michael Myers to be scary isn't the mask, but rather the lack of motive. Like, you know, like, he seems mm-hmm. to have just no reason for killing people, really. Like, he has no motive, no excuse, and it's not even pleasure. Like, he doesn't even seem to be enjoying what he does either. It, it's chilling. Yeah, it's like almost like no purpose he's just like there yeah right and, and that head tilt he does whenever he kills someone yeah it's, yeah it's very I it's almost sort of, forgot about that yeah it's sort of like um, a sort of like curiosity you know definitely just, just seeing what he's done and wondering maybe he doesn't even know like what he's doing too yeah, yeah. And it's like uh, you just finish a painting and you're like admiring your or your work. Is how yeah. It's oh, yeah, that's so true. <laughs> Godly, what is going on inside Michael's head? I don't know. I think it's just full of like puppies or something. <laughs> Oh man, <laughs> that he never speaks too. It just adds to the horror. Like sometimes, sometimes I see it. Like Michael likes to express himself through his actions. Like sometimes actions speak louder than words. That's true. It's like oh, not a very good way of uh, in this situation though. Oh. No, but uh, thank you to Mister. John Carpenter for creating this amazing movie and amazing character too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, emphasis on amazing too. <laughs> and and also like th- that theme, got that Halloween theme. Like even those who aren't familiar with the franchise or aren't big on horror can recognize the the theme mm-hmm. right away. It's that iconic. Yeah. I remember too, like just first hearing that theme and it just has like a, there's a sense of like mysteriousness in it. And like, it's just like, you can hear like the evil kind of like approaching like, oh, what's going to happen? Like the suspense is like building, it just builds up. Yeah, cue. and that, of course, that I, I equally iconic chase theme. You know, that dun, da dun. Yeah, even that is just scary too. <laughs> like with the stairs, it's like oh. God, amazing. I love that shot too, where it's um, it's almost like this uh, silhouette shadow shot too, where he's like on the top of the stairs, and uh, Laurie's just like running away from him in the house. That's so iconic. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis, she is a legend for sure. I think that was like one of her first movies too, if I'm correct. 
Uh, yeah, her second one actually, but the one that put her on the map. Oh, okay, so it was yeah, it was definitely like yeah. yeah. I know with iconic scenes in that movie, I always just think about the one with all the laundry hung up, and he's just yep. staring at her, and then one second he's gone. Just... He's gone. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and that's the another. Th- I'm sorry, you have to say something, John. I was just saying, it's just it's a it was a really like simple shot too. He was just like standing there, but it's still like creepy, and then he's gone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And another like a character trait I noticed about the shape is that the fact that whenever like he's wearing a, the, the ghost sheet and he doesn't kill her until she's until she sees right. that shows signs of sadistic behavior. Yeah, definitely. The beer scene, I remember that. (laughs) Jesus Christ. I love the idea of that they filmed all this in a suburban location. It adds the Mm -hmm. realism, makes the audience feel just as powerless as the characters. Yeah, Yeah, because suburb... um... Suburban homes are supposed to provide like a sense of like comfort. Like it's supposed to be like, oh yeah, this is just the neighborhood. It's like kind of quiet and stuff. But they yeah. decided to like kind of take the comfort of like security and like just mess it all up. <laughs> and with that, um, that pre that preyed upon a lot of the fears with at the time. Because in um, with the Manson murders, how that was sort of a right. home invasion, people just came in and killed. That mm-hmm. put people in a paranoid state of, am I even safe at home? And then I know, not sure who, but there, there's also been some uh, like mass murderers who did the same thing, where they just opened a door and killed everyone inside it's oh my goodness yeah so it really emphasizes the fear of the um, uh, lack of security at home exactly yeah like in a way the film remember to lock your doors always lock your doors exactly yeah yeah like halloween serves in a way as a cautionary tale because you know how haddonfield they think it's a safe neighborhood and not nobody kept their doors locked and that's, that's never assumed the worst yeah really played yeah. Well. But, yeah yeah and yeah like also in the i bet you guys know this but in the script Michael, he's mostly called The Shape, which mm-hmm. really, nice name too, by the way, like The Shape standing in the darkness. That's what he was like ori- originally referred to, I think, The Shape. I'm not too sure about like the, the, the meaning of the name, though, on The Shape. I think it's just the idea that it's not a man, it's not a ghost or anything it's just to shape the base components of it it looks it's a shape it's right nothing but what you see it's it's just there <laughs> yeah it's there and it's evil mm, yeah very evil <laughs> yeah and 
What I really appreciate about the Halloween movies, original and sequels, is aside from the horror, they really know how to craft really interesting main characters. There's Laurie and there's, of course, Dr. Loomis. Oh, yeah. 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 Very good actors and actresses. He's like the vo- like he knows Michael better than anyone. Like that monologue he delivered at the original, like yep. you know, the, I met him 15 years ago. Like that yep. perfect way to describe the character of Michael Myers. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah. And uh, oh, I forgot. Yeah, Donald Pleasance, who played yeah. Doctor Loomis, is also like um a frequent collaborator collab uh later of uh john carpenter because he was also in uh prince of darkness mm-hmm. and uh escape also from another very good which is also a very another very good um carpenter project mm-hmm. yeah yeah let's i think we've talked enough of the shape right now let's get now yeah. to other things to talk okay about. well so i think i think i know where you're going here nick um the thing 1984 um yes yeah i think that movie recently has been sort of brought back up to the zeitgeist with the internet phenomenon known as among us which is a a social deduction game where you are basically a group of astronauts and there's one or two imposters who have to sort of pretend (laughs) um that they're a crewmate too while killing the while killing them at the same time so and there's a lot of inspirations one of the maps Mm -hmm. on a polar research station and one of the animations is just very similar to one of the things transformations i just thought of that too i was like yeah yeah, among us is definitely influenced by the thing for sure yeah it's very it's the very thing in influence i can definitely see that yeah i know there's also been other attempts to simulate it in the game there's actually an official um the thing infection at outpost 31 board game that i have oh. haven't got to play it yet but it has a whole idea where you get uh you are assigned a role some people are the the thing and some people are just human but as the game progresses you uh your role your role may change. They may start off the game as um, just human, but end up being a thing by the end. So, mm-hmm. yeah. An imposter. Yeah. <laughs> but I do love um, the thing. Um, that's probably one of like Carpenter's like finest projects, and probably just one of like the best like sci-fi horror movies like ever. Just com- yeah. combining the genre, mm-hmm. I love. I just love the um, the setting of it and just the really good like actors who like Kurt Russell and yeah. just like yeah the whole in- the whole um the whole feeling of the movie. It's like who can I trust? Who is like right? Yeah, paranoia fuel incarnate. Yeah. Um. But with that, um, at the time when the movie came out, it flopped. It was not oh, successful. All I the critics hated it. They said, "This is just a gore fest. We don't, we don't like it." But and one of the main contributors to that, funny enough, was E.T. Like a week oh. before, I think a couple weeks, a week or two before the movie came out. Um, mm-hmm. 
E.T. came out and everyone's like, oh, aliens are friends. They're all fun and we're <laughs> yeah. going to be all their friends. And then the thing comes out and then it's like, nope. I'm terrified. What is this? <laughs> yeah. So uh, it was really the cult status that kept it alive. It, mm-hmm. So, yeah. And uh, we got to, yeah. But for making the film, John Carpenter wanted to remake the thing from another world, which was based right. on short story um, Who Goes There by I think John Campbell if I'm correct I think so I I actually did forget that the Carpenter's thing was a remake of like a black and a white yeah yeah, but he basically loved that film and he wanted to remake it but he rather than just copying everything they did like in the last one like some movies Mm -hmm. I'm not going to name names here but um, uh, he basically went back to the source material and basically made his own movie with the same ideas in it Uh, Alien Vader Mm -hmm. and he can um yeah put his own twist on it definitely because um the thing is that's like one intense very gory and disturbing piece of art (laughs) with with the thing from another world the alien in it is just like a frankensteinian monster just this Mm sort of ghoul that lurks around and doesn't really um do that but the big difference between sort of impersonates but not really but the big difference from it is are the effects like Mm -hmm. that's really what uh differentiated it from the original really good and disturbing yeah. effects and makeup absolutely yeah before uh, we before uh, your arrival here john uh, me and matt were talking about how the thing kind of had parallels to the work of body horror master david cronenberg mm-hmm, definitely most definitely um like uh when the head comes off and it mm-hmm. walks the spider um that still makes my skin crawl yeah, just and like, like just the scene with the dogs too oh, like, yeah. oh my goodness i had to skip that scene because i cannot stand watching a dog getting you know, yeah it's like uh, and then I'm sh- that's yeah. probably one of the reasons why it flopped too when it came out because like what is this this is like horrifying this is like yeah, yeah absolutely and it, I kind of was. It kind of reminded me a bit of Ridley Scott's Alien, in a way. Definitely. Same. Um. Yeah. Uh. The the body horror element definitely. And uh, with that, not just that. Um. When I looked into the film, the whole idea of something that can infect you and you can test it by blood as corresponds to the aid aids epidemic that was happening how this disease or this sort of invader can uh, infect you and you don't even know if someone has it and mm-hmm. uh, you can only test it by blood so there's was a parallel with that to the current paranoia with that Mm. okay yeah because the thing came out that was like um that was in the 80s so that was like the epidemic going on too at the at the time yeah yeah i know it's one of the first movies i saw the after i watched it i just right away saw the commentary track definitely yeah it was really good 
Mm-hmm. And it's kind of crazy too, like the times we're living in right now. It's like with mm-hmm. COVID, and then you look at like the thing. It's like, okay, who has like COVID? Yeah. yeah. Um. And uh, the ending was uh, was very like you know, just bitter, bittersweet, but more leaning on the bitter part because mm-hmm. yeah, killed the creature, but we're not sure if it's really an imitation or if it's the real guy. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. with that, um, this is somewhat of a problem that I've seen regarding it mm-hmm. is because of the video enhancement of 4K technology. Right. People have been like oh at the end of the movie you can see this one character I'm not going to spoil it but you can see this one character doesn't breathe and this other one has breath coming out and you can see that before in the original Mm -hmm. cut or any of the re-releases until the 4k edition or the blu-ray enhanced they're like oh because of all this um, he was a thing because he's not breathing and that's the definitive answer Um, I'm right and it's like but that's not the point of the movie Exactly, yeah. So it's just with all this enhancement of older films, it could sometimes lead to false conclusions and false takeaways. Because if there's a definitive conclusion to it, then it's like, what's the point? Oh, it's just this guy. There's no discussion afterwards. Mm -hmm. I feel like some, like, movies too, and it's kind of like when you alter a movie, you're kind of like... You're kind of altering like a piece of art there. That's why, like, even like with the Star Wars movies, like people are <laughs> mad about the edits and stuff because I'm yeah. like, yeah, I don't remember that. <laughs> I know uh, with that, I've seen a, another movie sort of like it. I watched The Warriors the other night. Oh, the 19. 19- yeah, I love that movie. Yeah, yeah, but the only edition you can get right now really is the director's cut of it. The and comic it, one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, with all the transitions and that, mm-hmm. and I sort of like the additional um, narration about like the Spartans and the yeah. Persians at. Was it Thermopylae? The 300 story everyone probably Yeah, knows. I forgot. And, the tr- it's kind of like Trojan War almost. I think it's like that time. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not really Trojan War because that has a different parallel. But throughout it, um, how we mentioned, oh, there's some Greek influences. I was, I was on the ball looking for, oh, these characters are represent the sirens. These are, like, for example, one of the most famous gangs from there is the Baseball Furies. Oh. Yeah, they're great. Um, And the Furies are um, something from Greek myth. They're uh, sort of monsters that punish the wicked, and they were the first ones to establish the uh, Athenian judicial system in the myth. So... Yeah. But yeah, the original, um, just going back to the Warriors, the, yeah, because I did see, I actually did see like the original version. The original one didn't have any explanation. It just kind of started without like the transitions or the introduction, but kind of like, yeah, going back to like the thing and like kind of like altering like stuff just with like new technologies. I feel like sometimes it shouldn't be like touched unless, um, unless maybe it just like makes the quality better but if it like alters like the story maybe it's not so much a good like idea because that's not the original vision but i guess if the director kind of like wants it then Mm -hmm. but yeah usually it's on the studio's side yeah 
And something else I'd like to add about the thing. And first of all, by the way, first I I really gotta see Warriors first of all. Oh, and, definitely. <laughs> uh, Walter Hill. That's another yeah. '70s director. And uh, about the thing, like I noticed, it had some parallels as well to the the classic Xenomorph from the Alien franchise. Like they're both parasitic creatures that need to reproduce by using a living being as a host. And yep. they're both like non non malicious monsters. Like they have no actual malice towards others. They just want to survive. They're basically animals. Definitely yeah. for sure. But for the um, with the big difference there is um, the xenomorph was a threat to the crew of the Nostromo in the first one. But the thing, it's a threat to humanity itself. Because there's that scene earlier on with the computer where it has the predictions. It would take, mm-hmm. I think, I'm not sure exactly, but it's like a couple days, or you think, to infect the yeah. whole planet. And then that that's probably uh, blown up. But uh, the idea that this one entity that we just dug up in the ice that... Um, is a threat to humanity is in a way very Lovecraftian mm-hmm. like um, and for just this even though it, we don't understand its motives but we assume it's trying to survive but in doing so it poses a risk to humanity Definitely. So, so the thing you, so I'm guessing from what you're saying, the, the thing would be a much bigger threat than the xenomorph itself, because on a global scale. Yes, and also if we want to go in there, um, there is also a pyramid at the Antarctic full of xenomorphs, and they haven't done anything. So right, <laughs> um, alien versus predator. Yeah, alien versus predator. Uh, uh, the. Uh, uh, <laughs> Wait. I'm, by the way, uh, just one quick question: Can can xenomorphs, you know, like you know, breathe in our atmosphere, or is it just space? Oh, well, they can't breathe in space because they yeeted them out on many occasions, like from alien and aliens. They when, when they're in space, they're dead. But uh, they have been known to breathe on our Earth-like atmosphere because in aliens there was an established colony. Right, right. And then they started attacking that. So I feel like um, they can breathe in our atmosphere. Yeah. Okay. Alien versus Predator. <laughs> One and <laughs> I mean, yeah. number, two, number, number two, number two. It's like, I know damn. one of my sort of uh, favorite just like cult horror movies is Horror, horror Express from 1971. Oh, I've never heard of that actually. It's cool. It um, stars uh, Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. Oh, nice. Is this a Hammer film? I'm like, not um... sure, but it's basically an, adapt, an adaption of the same works by John Campbell, who goes there. But it basically takes mm. place on a train in uh, 1907. And it's basically sort of like a period piece, sort of similar thing to the thing. But it's a, it's, it's interesting because you could see a different way of how it was handled. Mm. Like in it, what the monster does instead of um, uh, really 
assimilating them, they basically just smooth out the brain and sort of make them mindless zombies in that way. Oh, okay. So it's sort of... It's sort of like the same... Yeah, yeah. Um... But with that, um, there is talks about them remaking the thing. Like, mm-hmm. Blumhouse is trying to remake it. And before everyone goes, <laughs> you can never remake yeah. the thing. First off, in 2011, they tried. There was the yeah, prequel. Yeah, yeah. That film probably would have actually not been the worst if they kept the original effects. For all the effects in the movie, they did had made them practically. And right before it was released, the studio was like, okay, scrap that, let's just put digital effects in. Yeah, and that's and why man. it looks like terrible garbage <laughs> and no one likes. Yeah. But if they did that, it was probably comparable to the thing. Mm-hmm. But with the remake, I'd say give it a chance because it says it's going to take back from the source material similar to what John Carpenter did with his thing and make it like that. I am a little bit like kind of iffy though about like remakes, but I think it would be kind of cool to to see a new version of it, mm-hmm. um, especially like the times we live in like now. And you said Blumhouse was thinking of doing it. Yeah. yeah I, I feel like they... Blumhouse couldn't like do a really good like job. Yeah. Just seeing what they did with like Halloween, so yeah, and um, the Invisible Man. That's yeah, that's um... imagining, and I am excited to see the new Candyman when it eventually comes oh, out. Oh, I did not know they re- That's cool. Yeah, um, they got Tony Todd back. Nice, but nice. It's sort of. I think uh, he's still he is still Candyman, but they're sort of doing a soft reboot. They have the same character, same actor right. playing the character, mm-hmm. trying to do a new setting, and that was supposed to come out in July, but they've pushed it back to I think next year. If they do remake the thing, though, I would like them to, yeah, maybe try something kind of like, kind of like different. But um, kind of like, because you know how like The Invisible Man, that was like a complete reimagining. Yeah, well, more of a story about uh, abuse rather than yeah. just uh, horror. So if they do something maybe kind of like on that scale, that'd be yeah. cool to see. But nothing will ever like top like Carpenter's yeah. thing. And that's why he's the topic of today. Yeah. So back, back to the original movie, one of my... F- favorite behind the scenes details is how they filmed it mm-hmm. so um all of the interior scenes were filmed on a lot in california i think oh i didn't know that and all the outside scenes were filmed up at an arctic base basically so two different and, opposite locations yeah but what happened was the way they built it it was all connected so all of the rooms that should have been should have the doors outside and it's all sort of planned out in both locations okay so it was yeah so it had a sort of realism in the space that they moved how they don't really just Mm -hmm. teleport around the station they go from point a to point b outside and then back to the right door The thing, how, the thing's budget, was it that low or I'm guessing it was low, wasn't it? 
I'm thinking it was pretty high just for the cost of the effects, but because I think um, it was it was Universal Pictures, yeah. I think. Yeah. And this was kind of like after the success of like Halloween, so he definitely like. Yeah. He had like more, much more of a budget now to do like what he wanted. And uh, now since everyone's here, there's something I gotta tell you. The real reason why we're all here. Or should I say I'm here. I have come here to chew bubble gum and kick ass. <laughs> and I'm all out oh, of hell yeah. <laughs> so Do any of us look like aliens when you wear those glasses? Yeah. Obey. Or are we good? Obey. Ooh, I see bye, bye, bye. this is your god. <laughs> oh <my> god. <laughs> you gotta try this glasses on and John. Notice how my camera is not on. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's amazing. No, there's actually um, this is unrelated, but there's a filter on Instagram where you can actually get like the ghoul look with the. Oh. So if you that. want to try that out, I don't know. I think it, uh, Fangoria has it, but I would check it out. Okay, I'll check that out. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, they live is a. Yeah. I feel like that's a very like underrated Carpenter movie because it's like, it's very like kind of like in between like, actually no sorry it was after the thing, but he did like more stuff like after that. Because that was 1985? Uh, 88. 88? Never mind, that was like later. Yeah, like, wow. This film is is basically yeah, a critique on capitalism and the Ronald Reagan's economics during that time. Yeah, it was definitely a Reagan era movie with like um the consumerism and stuff like when he puts on the glasses like obey yeah bye bye mary a uh, mary reproduce mary this reproduce, whole idea exactly. of subliminal messages is exactly yeah because if you boil it down to that that's every advertisement you see it's bye yeah. bye obey do this look like people, that yeah do that do that and it really controls some people's lives like just oh definitely so yeah but it's um because in the end they i'm not did they turn up to be it's been a while since i've seen it were they aliens at the end or were they sort of uh yeah they were aliens they were all they were aliens and they were all exposed after um Roddy, I forgot Roddy Piper's character, but he um he Nana. takes down like the satellite, yeah, and then everyone is just exposed. Like it shows like um the yeah. scenes like people in bars. The the, fil- the um filter gets removed. Taken down. Yeah. yeah. Yes, and in a way, I found the film. It's kind of like the people's paranoia or fear of the other, like the the least dominant group, like fear that mm-hmm. they could turn against them, against the powerful and elite. Definitely, yeah, because it's interesting because the people that were aliens in the movie, they were all like the rich and the people yeah, like the in powerful. power and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that was like a really interesting take almost. And you can kind of like dive in into like conspiracy stuff like um like the like the lizard can you guys know about the lizard people yeah. conspiracies yeah. and stuff like that exactly. yeah yeah the reason why i brought that up with the uh, aliens is it has sort of a similar relation to society if mm. you guys how sort of it's the rich and powerful are 
control everything and yeah um uh, but in the end, in that one, they basically made a point to specify that they weren't aliens. They were like an ancient race of humans that, through like interbreeding and this process, they became this more grotesque creature, really, than just mm. a group of individuals. But yeah, that's another good one. But yeah, um... They live very interesting. I feel like it's, it's very more people definitely got to see they live because I'm I'm people don't um know it's not too many people know that it's like a Carpenter movie too, but it like the message in the movie is like really interesting and cool too and it's it's very relevant today still. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's a little bit hard harder to find too, but I was lucky enough to buy um. There, um, I bought like a, it was like a four uh, disc uh, DVD collection of like John Carpenter movies and that was included in there along with the thing Prince of Darkness and, and Village of the Damned with um, Christopher Reeve. Yeah, it also has uh, Keith David in it, which was... His... Keith David. Yeah, he was in The Thing as well. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's yeah, right, yeah. yeah. He, he's great. He's made his great appearance actor. in yeah, horror. He's, I know uh, one of my favorite niche roles of his, he was the cat in Coraline. Oh, so, I didn't know that's yeah. cool. I know I, uh, for my club, I looked back at it, how he looked more at some animated horror just mm. to uh, something different but to see keith david the legend himself in this small role as a cat and i recognized it immediately when i heard it i said is that keith david and yeah turns out it was but uh yeah. with roddy piper this was his one of his only roles i think he did i this. think so yeah because he was then, uh, mainly wrestling yeah yeah but then he also did a movie called hell comes to frog town it's it's on shutter if you guys have shutter but it is great it's fantastic but it's a bad movie it basically what <laughs> it's this whole apocalypse humanity's yeah dying, like half um Half the people are sterile, and then there's Roddy's Piper character, Hell Johnson or whatever, and then he basically gets arrested by the government and saying, you gotta go to this place and save all these fertile women from this frog harem. And it's just oh, so man. dumb and so fantastic. <laughs> if you like just nonsense, I recommend it, because, yeah. Just sort of like a, like a movie, you just want yeah. to like sit yeah. back, relax, and like... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So hell, hell comes to Frog Town. Hell comes to Frog Town. I definitely will check out um, Horror Express. The Horror Express sounds really cool. Yeah. The um, your cushion one. Yeah. 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 But yeah, like they live. Yeah, it's definitely one of Carpenter's best, actually. And it, again, it didn't do so well. Uh, during that time so because of that carpenter distanced himself from hollywood and decided to become independent again yeah because if you look at his um filmography there is sort of like a gap because i think his his uh latest one was the um the ward i think right 
I think that was like 20, 2007. I think I'm not too sure. I can't confirm, mm. but there's a little bit of a gap there. He kind of like just took a break. And then I know mm. he's like still doing like music. Yeah. I know in the 90s, he did um, At the Mouth of Madness. Which okay. I don't know if we want, but that one is, you know, it was sort of like the last big Carpenter film. And, but it didn't really do good, and I think that's when he really took his break, but I'm not too sure. Because mm-hmm. yeah. Village of the Damned was also in the 90s, too. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah, They Live is a great movie with how, you know, when you boil it down to it, we are all just... No, slaves to advertising. <laughs> yeah, slaves to advertising. And it did have like a bit of the message, you know, the big brother is watching. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love how the the movie was like it's very like there's the comedic element in it too. It just it works out really well. Like the message is dark, but it's like this is also like very like funny and entertaining. And you can see that reflected in like his uh, that worked with like action movies like a uh, Big Trouble in like Little China, which is also like kind of like a funny like action thing. Oh yeah, I'm guessing the bubble gum line was improvised, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. Oh, it was improvised. That's cool. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, like um, well, uh, Roddy Piper. Yeah, he really had a lot of fun in this role, and it shows. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have another question to ask you guys about this topic. Do you are you guys fans of snakes? Snakes. Yes. I I don't actually know if I like hate snake. I do, I hate spiders, but um, I don't know. Snakes are um, very toler tolerate snakes definitely. Mm-hmm. But you gotta be careful, of snakes too, because they can bite. Snakes. Snake. Why did it have to be snakes? <laughs> yeah, it's like snakes. What? Especially, especially snake Pliskin. Yeah. Yes, Escape from New York. Oh yeah, love it. That yeah. is probably yeah one of my favorite um, John Carpenter movies. Uh, amazing character too, and just the soundtrack. Yeah. Just like the like the entire like uh, premise of it too, like. We're going to, like, use you, and you got to, like, go here, and it's going to be dangerous, though. And you only have a certain amount of time to complete your mission. So you have to be... Um... You have to be a bit skeptical of them turning New York into a sort of penal colony. Yeah, it's like... Because what year was it supposed to be? It was supposed to be... I think... I don't know. Uh, Maybe 2000s, actually. Yeah. (laughs) But but just, just New York City, the bustling capital of industry that it is... Um, yeah, yeah. With all this culture and Broadway and all that, ah, let's make it a penal colony. Let's go. Yeah. And I, I just uh, the poster "Escape from New York" is like yeah. really cool too. I just love how it shows um the Statue of Liberty and stuff. That's actually what like drew me to like to watch it. I was like, oh, this looks like really like interesting. And in a way, from what I saw of the plot, I think Escape from New York is basically Suicide Squad done right. <laughs> yes, oh, yeah. it yes. definitely is true. 
Um, definitely one of Kurt Russell's like best roles too. I did know that he actually did get like migraines during filming because of the eye patch. Mm-hmm. It like caused him headaches because like wearing that for a long time. So. I think midway through filming, they actually had to make, like, two different eye patches, one that he can, like, kind of, like, see through. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I did not know that. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah. very cool. And, yeah, I love Snake, too. He's probably one of, like, one of a, a, a total badass, like, one of the best badass. heroes. Yeah, an action icon. Action yeah. icon, definitely. Right. And Escape from New York, that was before the thing, or was that after the thing? I think it was before. It was, like, yeah. se- late 70s, kind of after Halloween. Uh, 81. Yeah, oh, early 80s, because er, okay. Halloween was like yeah. end of the 70s. 70, 78, yeah. yeah. And then there's also like the sequel to um, Escape, from, from Escape from L.A., yeah. which had a higher budget. I Personally, mm-hmm. though, I like I like uh, Escape from New York better, but yeah. Escape from L.A. was pretty good, too. Yeah. And it's pretty surprising that John Carpenter returned to direct this because he isn't really that. He usually distances himself from sequels in general. Mm-hmm. Sort of like um, uh, Quentin Tarantino aspect of him, how for Quentin Tarantino, his only real sequel was Kill Bill 2, and then after that, it's all mm-hmm. been individual features. So right, right. Sort of maybe the idea of the indie filmmaker is more of creating new things rather than building upon older ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like to like directors and stuff like, like like John Carpenter, Quentin Tarantino, and other like directors you talked about. I feel like they they got like a lot of ideas too. They don't want to get like stuck on one. Like they're just like, oh yeah, I want to move on to the next. Because the thing mm-hmm. with like sequels, it just kind of becomes like a money grabber thing after. Yeah. Oh. And that's why you can see like the stories and stuff like like Halloween Resurrection, for example. It's like it's just a money grab because like it's just like a trend sort of thing I feel like yeah it definitely is important for directors to move on and keep um, making like new films individual um, pieces of work absolutely yeah Yeah. Yeah, for sure yeah and about um, Escape from New York I I see some similarities with it with They Live because I see it as a critique of the system, the, the U.S. Mm-hmm. government. Correct, yeah. Mm. Has failed us. Mm. If this movie was made today, it would gain a lot of backlash from the States, for sure. Definitely mm. a lot of, yeah, definitely a lot of backlash. Even, like, just the setting of it, like, too, because that's, like, New York and stuff, and, like, just, like, with events that happened, like, after... Yeah, it's sort of a sacred place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. But then again, these are just like movies too, so. But there definitely would still be the backlash, though, because of yeah. course. Yeah. I know, um, yeah. One of the more interesting Carpenter films in my opinion, just how well it was executed was uh, Christine. Oh, yes. Mm. 
yes. uh, adaption of the Stephen King. Was it a novel or a short story? Uh, no. A novel. Mm-hmm. About the... What year was it? Let's see. I'm not good with cars, but I know it's a Plymouth Fury. Red Plymouth Fury. Yeah. That's actually recently been put on Netflix, actually. Yeah. Uh, Christine, yeah. which is a blessing. Yeah. It, it was one of the best adaptations, I think, for it. Just the idea of a sort of possessed car, but also a possessive mm-hmm. car is very yeah. interesting how um uh this guy he buys his car from this creepy old dude and repairs it and sort of builds a bond with it but then the car sort of takes control of his life and basically uh he only wants the car he only protects the car and just um yeah, and there's just some so many great scenes from it, like from Definitely. the um, popping of just the, <laughs> the repair yeah. scene. That yeah. scene was done so good and all practical. Yeah. What they did all was they had a whole bunch of rigs and pulleys and anchors inside it and basically imploded it. But then they mm-hmm. reversed the footage so it looks like it's popped back out. It's an underrated john carpenter movie and um yeah i do agree though it's like definitely one of the best was probably like stephen king adaptations too i'm not too sure again if it was a novel or a short story i think it was a novel it's there's a lot of content in it um but also the end of it with the plymouth fury on fire going down Mm -hmm. the road just terrifying yeah (laughs) yeah I like too how like it's an interest. It's an interesting horror movie too because it's like um, a car that's like alive, and yeah. I feel like that could be done right or like wrong because I'm not sure if you guys. Oh, there's another. Um, I think it's Maximum Overdrive. Yeah, Maximum Overdrive is like one. Yeah, because um, yeah, but there's another one. It was like um, it was actually way older, but um, yeah. it, it did have cars alive. Yeah. Well. I know that there's a whole subgenre of vehicle horror. Oh, is that what it's called? Okay. Um, well, because there's also the one I, again, I'm bad at remembering names of movies. Um, but it's about a um, just a woman driving on a road, and she basically gets cut off by. I think she cuts off um, a basically big truck, like a. Okay um 18 wheeler or whatever and for the it's just chasing her down the road but that's a whole just, movie yeah i don't think it's a whole yeah. movie but it's the general idea of how this nameless faceless driver's just trying right. to um get her off the road so yeah uh, yeah, yeah vehicle horror i think yeah, yeah i think that's the thing 
<laughs> but yeah, it's a very cool concept, though. Yeah, but and then there's also Maximum Overdrive, as I mentioned, over which was written by Stephen King and Cocaine. <laughs> like, yeah, and he also directed it too. Yeah, yeah. So with yeah, the soundtrack that, by ACDC. Yeah, that 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 movie's <laughs> something. It's 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 a fever dream. There, a fever, a fever dream. Um, I have still yet to have seen that one, but um. I just I do have the ACDC soundtrack CD of it somewhere in my house. I actually yeah. didn't know it was like for a movie till later. I was like, oh, this is uh interesting. Because yeah. who are the actors in that again? Is it Emilio? Actually, I don't know. Is it Emilio Estevez? I think I'm I cannot confirm. Sure. It was in the eighties though, so it was like eighty six, eighty seven. But going back to Christine, um, Emilio Estevez. Okay. And Paul Kegel. Yeah. Okay. No one too big. Um, I don't know. I'm bad with actors as well. Um, but yeah, just it's it's an overall good, well executed movie, Christine from. The action, the effects, there's really little to poke holes in when looking mm-hmm. at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely needed to rewatch that scene. And what's even more amazing is how they managed to pull it off because they they started filming after a day after the novel was published. Oh really? Really? Oh yeah. Oh wow. So I guess like Carpenter kinda like he like was friends with King then? He kind of like knew the story already, or for Christine? Oh yeah, for sure, makes sense. Like they're two masters of horror, basically, King of Horror. Oh, okay, because that's interesting how they only started like filming like shortly after it was published. So he had to have like known the story, I guess. Definitely. Oh. Yeah, I believe he showed he, he King showed Car- Carpenter the manuscript ahead of time. Yeah. So that okay, that's, that's cool. That's sort of similar to what happened with two thousand and one. How? Oh, the Space uh, Odyssey. Yeah, yeah. How Kubrick and I think Arthur C. Clarke sort of both uh, worked on the movie and novel at the same time. Oh, and then okay. they were both sort of released within the same period, so they sort of had okay. two different takes on the same story. That's cool. Oh. Yeah. And from what I saw, understood of Christine, I think it's basically a message on, you know, uh, like over materialism and possessiveness how you know one yeah. becomes attached to their objects that they start to personify them mm-hmm. definitely yeah if you look at the all these carpenter movies there's definitely some like real life messages too like i think some people just see his films as like oh they're they're violent they're it's just like mm-hmm. this but there are some like deep meanings and stuff too to it like even Halloween, like that could be like a cautionary tale of just like be cautious of your house, like lock your doors and stuff. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Or, and since we are at this point past the hour mark, I think it's time to get to the ranking. All right. 
three favorite Carpenter movies and favorite scenes. Let's start with you, Matthew. Okay. So is it favorite movie and favorite scene from that movie or just three favorite movies and then a favorite scene? Uh, favorite scene from each of those three movies. Okay. Just to clarify. Um, let's see. For my number three pick, it's going to be Christine, as mentioned before. But it's... My favorite scene is the car repairing itself, just how they did that with hooks and pulleys and had it implode and then reverse the footage. It was just art. That That's the best way I can describe it. Mm-hmm. Then my next one, it's gonna be um, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. And just the whole part of them on the couch testing the blood, seeing, okay, you're clean. And then when it's the final part with the two um, two guys, the one unconscious one or dead, I think, and then the sort of um, the sort of head of the base that um, and then he's like, get this, get me the fuck away from him. It's just, yeah. <laughs> just, just really yeah. just really great. Um, and then for my last one is a movie we didn't really touch on, but it's At the Mouth of Madness, which right. is great. I could talk about that movie all day, but my favorite scene from that one is when the man just breaks the window with the axe and then goes up to Sam Neely's character and say, do you read Sutter Kane? And it's just this normal scene of two guys talking, but in the background, mm-hmm. this man walks right across the street, breaks the window and sort of intrudes in on it. Definitely, yeah. Incredible. And now it's your turn, John. All right, yeah, this is a uh, very hard to um, decide, but... um. Number three uh, for picks would have to go to um, They Live. And um, my favorite scene from it is just when he uh, first, put, he first um, puts on the, um, the, the uh, sunglasses and he sees a message. Um, they Live, um, actually, the, one of the things that drew me to the movie was the uh, poster of it. Because um, I didn't really know what it, was, it was about. It had like the... Um, sunglasses with the alien at first i thought it was gonna be like sort of like a zombie sort of like movie but it turned out to be something else and the message in the movie is pretty amazing too nice pick man yep and for um number two number two i don't know we kind of like touched on this one but it is a prince of darkness I love too how it's kind of like a movie that um, kind of like shows like because um, there's a lot of um, a lot of other like horror movies too that kind of show like um, the passage or the gateway to hell or um, kind of like contacting the devil. But my favorite, um, it's not even like a big scene from the movie, but there's this like one shot I've seen from the movie that I really love and um, it shows like uh, the camera zooming in into the church and then it shows a shadow if you guys I'm not sure if you guys have seen Prince of Darkness but um, it's like they're showing the um, uh, the entrance into the church and then it has the VHS quality 
it's just very airy and it was a very like simple shot so that is number two and then for number one it was um it's definitely a tie but i think it would definitely have to go to halloween and yeah Halloween is actually my intro into horror movies. I accidentally saw it in when I was at a really young age, grade um, three, because my parents thought it was a kid's um, movie because they just got it from Blockbusters. They got it from me on VHS, actually, and I watched we watched it together and I was like, OK, I don't think that was like a, something for kids, but that was like very horrifying to me. And yeah, it definitely left a, um, an impact on like my movie watchings and stuff because it was like the intro for me to like actual like horror movies, like real horror movies, not like kid horror movies. But my favorite scene from that movie would definitely have to be the last scene when Michael Myers is not on the lawn anymore. And sorry for spoilers, but I'm pretty sure that people that listen to this have probably seen Halloween already. But I just love how the ending is so chilling. It doesn't have like um, an exact like conclusion to it. It's like he's basically still out there. And yeah. <laughs> and you can see the shots of different places he's been while he's heavily breathing in the background. Yeah. Exactly. Um, before you do yours, Nick, I just want to touch on one more thing. Uh, uh, there's the Apocalypse, as it's referred to, which includes Prince of Darkness, The Thing, and At the Mouth of Madness, which are all different films. They're not connected in any way except for the general theme of the end times, the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of... Um, uh, yeah, they're just all together. And, yeah. yeah. Very good trilogy. Yeah. Very good movies. I still have yet to see the the other one, because I did see uh, Prince of Darkness. Yeah, I, I do recommend At the Mouth of Madness. Yeah. It's sort of like his take on cosmic horror. Mm, but okay. um, it also has some, like, Silent Hill elements, how he has to go to this mysterious town. And right, it's, right. It, some of the effects are a bit dated, but it's an overall good movie, in my opinion. Definitely. We'll give All right. you two as well. Like, I'm guessing that the devil in that film is, is the green goo, right? The green liquid. Right. Oh, for Prince of Darkness? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, my list now. For All me, right. My number three would have to go to They Live and favorite scene the entire playway fight. Yeah. <laughs> God, that. That scene was so really well shot and yeah. brutal and also comical in a way because they keep beating the crap out of each other and they yeah. still keep at it. Oh. I feel like he wanted to Roddy Piper to like, or I'm not sure if it was his idea or like um, 
them but they're like oh yeah he's got to show like the wrestling skills and stuff and it goes on for like 20 minutes almost the fight it's like it's very long <laughs> i'm guessing john carpenter wanted to yell out cut but he had a hard time holding his <laughs> lap yeah, because they just keep standing up. Are they done? Nope. All right, here we go again. <laughs> no point is. Right, just put on these sunglasses. <laughs> yeah, that's all he wanted him to do. Yeah. Uh, maybe just, it just goes to shows, too. Like, it's very hard for to, like, let a friend, like, it's even, like, just saying, like, can you please watch this movie or check out this series? Yeah. You gotta, like, force it upon them yeah. to see the truth. See the shit out of me and then I will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's, aside from it being a really well-done scene, it's also a metaphor, because how uh, the... Mm, Roddy Piper character he wants Keith David like to see the truth but he doesn't want it basically shows how yeah. people are oblivious to the truth they don't want they're living in a fantasy in a dream and they don't want yeah. anything to put them out of the dream yeah because I remember he was saying too he's like I don't want any part of this I'm just, I'm just trying to help my family I don't mm. want to get into this Yeah. but then he kind of yeah he had to like see the truth like yeah, yeah. Mm. like a, a battle between idealism and pragmatism in a way exactly and that's why i consider it the best scene in the entire film and for my number two oh is the thing favorite scene clear the yeah yep then when i first saw that scene i was like oh my goodness this is very violent yeah <laughs> God, oh my God! That was so <laughs> oh, with that scene though, um, there's a actually really interesting behind the scenes. So the person who did the clear, mm-hmm. he actually was an amputee. So, oh. so what happened was when they did that, he just had fake arms on and he just removed them out. So that's actually how they uh, did that scene where it's oh. actually his arms getting ripped off rather than just using prosthetics. I think, I'm pretty sure, I'm like 80%. That's interesting, I didn't know that. Yeah, just with that. It's a pretty violent, and it's yeah. so unexpected, too. It's like clear, yeah. and oh, shit. And then right after that, the head goops off, just. Yeah. yeah. No guts, no glory. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and this, like. It's definitely pissed off. <laughs> yeah. Like, the thing has had, it showed many great moments of the practical effects, but I think this scene is the best display of the effects. Like all of it, like from the makeup, the fake blood, and not not even a hint of CGI or full effects. Mm-hmm. So well done. Yeah. Really well done. And my number one, which should be no surprise to anyone, would be Halloween. And yeah. just as your favorite scene was the ending, John, mine would have to be the opening scene. Mm-hmm. Very chilling. Where little Michael kills his sister. Yeah. Impressive. It's a interesting like start too because it's like the point of view shot and so it's like what's gonna happen and then yeah because that's like his first murder and it's like oh this is very like this is very evil already. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And this is also a great way to introduce us to a horror movie icon. Mm-hmm. And it shows him, and he's like a kid, and it's like, what? It was a kid? Yeah, exactly. And 
the fact it's not just the fact that a child killed his sister but the face he makes when they took off his mask like it's all like blank expression mm -hmm. he has no idea what he just did yeah and that was the first ever horror movie I have seen too so I was like whoa <laughs> And I, uh, I watched this film, too, at a very young age as well. I was about 11 years old. Mm. It has and will always be my favorite scary movie of all time. Thanks to Mr. John Carpenter. Mm. Love it. And great list, guys. Really great scenes. Yeah, great. I've still got to watch The Prince of Darkness and uh, In the Mouth of Madness as well. Yeah, Mouth of Madness. Madness. Oh, and uh, one more tiny little thing. Like last night, I just got fin finished uh, Dark Star, which was Carpenter. Oh, right. I haven't seen that yet. How was that? It was hilarious. It's a dark, dark comedy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I forgot that about that one. That was like his first feature. It was. It was a student film that sort of got out of control, but the budget was oh. too low budget to be sort of like a, um, a mainstream movie, but they got it in theaters anyways. So. Damn, that was interesting. I'll have to check yeah. that out. But um, if, we, if we can talk about that for a quick second with it, um, it was also written by Dan O'Bannon. Oh, from yeah, cool. Yeah, who also wrote Alien, and he also starred in it. But the whole movie was a first demonstration of the idea of sort of a lived-in space. Oh. Like, for space travel with all the pulp comics and pulp uh, stories in 2001, everything had a nice cleanness to it. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Dark Star was a, really the first film to introduce the idea of just people live how they live, but in space. And from that, it also the most the best example of it is uh, Star Wars how it used the um, idea of a uh, lived-in universe, how there's this old, like, grimy bar, and you meet these um, just characters who've been in this universe longer than you know. And that's a good contrast, like Han Solo and Chewbacca and the Millennium Falcon is a good contrast to the neatness of the Empire, and sort of how this... Right, right, yeah. Because Dark Star, that was 74, right? Yeah. It was like before Star Wars, yeah. 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 And really, like, and Carpenter was 26 years old, and he really delivered. Oh. That's cool. Yeah, see, you can watch it on YouTube, by the way. And in oh, cool. It's a full thing on YouTube. <laughs> okay. It's, it has like, it's a cross between 2001 Space Odyssey and, to an extent, uh, Alien. The release. <laughs> it's very awesome. Yeah, yeah, I wonder what, how, how it got like that. <laughs> yeah, it's like... Okay. <laughs> and the, um, the, yeah. the film, The Alien Eye and Dark Star, it's, it's basically a, a beach ball. Like a red beach ball with... <laughs> oh, man. Hilarious. I love how, like, he did that and then Halloween and then it's like, oh. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. 
Oh, and there's this other one. Um, what's it called? Uh, oh, yeah, Assault on 13. Oh, right. I forgot to talk about that one. Have any of you guys seen that one? No. It's no, the, poli- the police station one with the gang members. Hmm. They have to, like, take base in it. Um, that's more of, like, a like a straight-up, like, crime, almost like the warrior sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Sort like, of yeah. yeah, that was actually, like, yeah, I forgot to talk about that one because that was like before Halloween, but like after Dark Star. Yeah, well, I don't know if Nick would be up for it, but with all this that we sort of missed out on, what are your thoughts on a Carpenter Part 2, Nick? I believe that would be a great idea too, as well, for all the ones that we did miss. Yeah. Okay. Because I. I can talk so much about at the mouth of madness it's yeah i'm definitely out for a part two mm-hmm, absolutely yes will do and that's all the time we have for today thank you matt and john really thank you for thank coming you guys thank you on this you guys have a good week and a good spooky season yeah. That is the month of October. You too, John. Thank you for joining us on this lesson all about the art of carpentry. Until then, this has been Nick Manessis, John Swan, and Matthew Zahariah on Sin City by students for you. Thank Bye. you, guys. See you. You may think